two. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the commentary for the pendant Shakespeare as you like it, Act Two. Now my brothers and Joining me is my assistant director. And now it's where you introduce yourself. Oh yeah, hello. <laughs> Sorry, I got totally lost in the speech. Um, hi, George, assistant director. And my um, dramaturge. Landon Bell. Almost got lost in the speech there. It's <laughs> a good start. This is a good start. And Landon is having some technical difficulties, so he's not actually hearing the episode, but he does have the script to help follow along. So, so if I sound like a raging lunatic, it's because I am. <laughs> so starting off, we have scene one, which I directed. And it was fairly straightforward to direct. Indeed, my lord. The melancholy Jacques. So a couple of interesting things about this scene. Um, I decided that Duke Senior. Um, I wanted him to be. Uh, a huge contrast to Frederick and the kind of person Frederick is. Um, so Frederick has this big giant dragon. Uh, senior has a little pet baby dragon, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And um, the the pet dragon is actually played by um, Natalia Orlovsky. And uh, she had auditioned for the show and was not initially cast. And when I decided I was going to do that, uh, three scripts in, I gave her a holler and I said, hey, would you be interested in this part? And she was like, yes. And so now we have her. I mean, who doesn't want to play the part of the baby dragon? That's, that's like a dream Oh, I know it. And of course, we also had uh, Russell Gold as Duke Senior. I think you're talking about wanting to have him contrast. I think that's a really good casting. I think we nailed it with the, the two there, because they do have quite contrasting voices. Yes, absolutely. Um, Pete Lutz and Russell Gold both, they do sound like they could be fan. Right. <laughs> I like that contrast. Uh, who else is in the scene? We also had uh, Erie Alexander, or excuse me, um, excuse me, I get confused with names. Amiens um, has, or Ilaria Alexander as Amiens, I believe. Wherefore do you look upon yes, Amiens. And then, who does the first lady? Um, 
Yay! And of this um, our life. Let me look at my casting list again. <laughs> and just so you know, this is like a couple months after we mixed this, so it, we may be a little bit slow on knowing what's going on and stuff. <laughs> we forgot. Uh, the first lady is uh, Susan Evans. Ah, uh, yes. And the second lady is Ginny Dean. I think what we want to what we want to make clear is that they're all fantastic. Yes. Even though we don't have names directly in front of us. Oh yeah. And we are now going into scene two, which is where George Linfield started in this play or act. It cannot be. Some villains of my court are of We hear the contrast in voices and kind of tones here directly. Of coming away from a nice, cheery outdoors into a dour, dark castle throne room. Um, one interesting thing about the scene is that um, the character of Le Beau was not originally in it. Um, it was some kind of messenger character, I believe. And I realized, no, that's not really going to work um, just to have a throwaway character like that. So I asked uh, Justin Fife if he'd be interested in reprising the role. He was like, yeah. That's what all the actors say to me when I ask. And that really seems to fit his character, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, he's quite a sly, manipulative character. Seems like the sort of person that tattle on Orlando. And also in Oliver's mansion, we have scene three. Or... Wait, this is a different place. Who is there? My own master. Was this the first Oliver's mansion, isn't it? Yes. Was this the first scene where you did music directing? Or the first play? I think it might be, actually. This is the first uh, act where I've actually done the music as well. So if the music doesn't sound as good as it usually does, that's why. <laughs> no, it, it, it sounds was, good. It okay. Thank you. We, I know we, we kind of we, we did work on it together to kind of make it as good as possible. So. But yeah, it was it was different a different experience because I don't usually um, I haven't on this show done much music. Um, yeah. Why? What's the matter? And we've been using the music of Stephen O'Brien for the music throughout this uh, play. I think that was like having this one unsung hero of this play. I will not call him son of him. I was about to unsung as in instrumentals. Exactly. I'll see. He means to burn the lodging where you used to I think it's nice having one artist that you can go to though, because it does you can kind of each each piece does have a, a definitive feel if you kind of go for his like piano pieces. Fifty odd piano pieces and they do all have the same feel. So they do slot together. It's mixing it a lot more easier than having you know, a wider variety of music to choose from. This I must do. 
or know not what to do. I kind of, when I chose pieces for this, it was very much thinking about the mood of the characters. So here we can kind of hear Orlando talking with much hope, and I hope that's reflected in the music as well. The thrifty hire I saved under your father, which I did store to be Indeed. my foster nurse. I kind of think also, of that um, piece as Orlando's theme, but uh, this piece, but uh, I mean, we could run with that. I do, I like that. Um, one little tidbit about the scene. Um, in the original, um, Adam doesn't jump out and grab or it's neat. At a different location. But I thought it would add maybe a little bit more attention if they were closer to uh, Oliver's mansion. I never did apply heart and rebellion. So that's where I said this. Nor did not with unbashful forehead woo the means of weakness and ability. I think Adam kind of jumping out on Orlando is also it's it's quite nice in a way because it shows that he he is aware of the situation surrounding Orlando and how he's going to have to flee. Whereas if they were just meeting in an external location, would have the same kind of threat and intrigue. So it definitely worked better for me than just coming together, having a scene. Right. Where none will sweat but for promotion, and having that do choke their service up even with a having. It is not so with thee. But poor old man, thou prunest a rotten tree. That cannot so much as a blossom yield I love that throwback there to the first scene when they're together pruning trees not sure whether that was intentional or whether that's Shakespeare at its best or master go on and I will follow thee to the last gasp with truth and loyalty from 17 years to now oh who plays Orlando and Adam now live here no more at 17 years, many Isn't, I think it's Will uh, Shipley. Will Shipley's Orlando. Edward Herman is Adam. Uh, sorry, I'm not on top of that because of my uh, my technical difficulties. <laughs> I'd just like to take a moment to say how much I enjoy listening to Will Shipley's voice on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> His heart grew three sizes. I care not for my spirits. If my legs were not so weary. And we are We are starting off scene four. Uh, forest of Arden near a beaten path. Am I right? And I know it, I'm probably wrong because it's been a while since we did the scene. But am I right in saying this is the first scene in Arden? For my part, I had rather bear you. Yet I should bear no cross if I did bear you, for I think you have no money in your purse. Possibly. We did it. We mixed it like two months ago. I feel like it's actually the second scene. It's the second scene because the first one was with Duke Senior at the beginning. Oh yes, that was the. For the first scene for Rosalind and, and Celia and Touchstone. Yes. Kind of their arrival. Then, of course, uh, there the was... Way, uh, Go ahead. While I'm on top of actors again. Uh, by the way, uh, Olivia Steele is our Celia, um, and Alexander Elroy is Rosalind. 
and uh, Finn MK is touchstone. And we also have, are starting up with Corrin and Sylvius. Yes. Which, uh, Sylvius is played by Matt Chiberly. And, uh, Alan Wayman is our Corrin. I like Alan's gravelly voice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a proper shepherd's voice. It has then, a nice cadence to it, I find. We've got a great cast. Listen to us just gushing. Gushing with praise. So proud. Alas, poor shepherd. This is, of course, the introduction of another love. Yeah, that's one thing that this play really seems to like doing. It, it's kind of the love, actually, of Shakespeare plays. <laughs> I mean, Shakespeare liked doing that a lot. You know, grabbing lots of couples and kind of chucking them in a fire. So I made someone on screen. There's another very similar way. Two couples there, and then obviously the very thing it's, it's something that kind of we still see in plays, like you're saying, from comps today, multiple romantic plots. I'm Hey, you. One of you question yon man if he for gold will give us any food? I faint almost to death. I think people definitely like the, uh, they like romantic fantasies. And that's really what this is. Uh, in a lot of ways. Which helps with the, the actual fantasy theme we have going on. With magic and dragons. Good even to you, friend. I think some people might say that casting Shakespeare as like a high fantasy is silly, but this play is the closest, it's one of the closest times that Shakespeare gets to fantasy. And so very much sees Forest Bard as a tacit place. The characters go off that's where all their dreams flee the city. My things aren't working, I can find I built the top of that, it's a high fantasy. But it, it totally makes sense in the context. And we have the first appearance of Rosalind's alter ego, uh, Ganymede. Ganymede! Ganymede's fun to keep track of in the script, and after a while I just stopped doing it and I just started saying in the emails, okay, this is Ganymede throughout. <laughs> well, I think we should possibly talk about how disguise is shown in audio. Because obviously Rosalind is disguised. How do we show that? It's very difficult to pull off. Yeah. I think 
with uh, Rosalind's kind of lines, we do hear her voice kind of drop. In the film adaptation of this play, uh, which I watched for research uh, going in, uh, Rosalind's played by Bryce Dallas Howard. And she doesn't even change her voice for Ganymede. Um, she keeps the same voice and just puts on some boy clothes. Um, and, and, and so realizing that that's how a lot of people approach the character, um, it was interesting with the adaptation. Um, because, because it's not like Twelfth Night, where Twelfth Night, um, Viola specifically changes her voice, Mm. which we were able to do. Um, and so, so trying to make it work here was, uh, was interesting. I think there's definitely part of the joke in the play is that when it would have been staged originally back in, you know, 16th, 17th century, um, the, the actors would have all been male anyway. So you'd have had a male actor pretending to be a female character who then pretends to be a male, and that's kind of part of the joke. <laughs> and we've begun scene five which is the first act with the singing in it. I do not mm. desire you to please me. I do desire you to sing. Very good singing as well. Yes. Yes. So, uh, as far as mixing it, I just uh, added in some guitar music from GarageBand underneath her singing. So, it sounded like she was playing a guitar. And which characters and actors do we have in the scene? Uh, we have Christopher Gilstrap as Jacques, and we have Erie Alexander again as Amin. And I got both of their names right that time. <laughs> now, have we not already heard a Jacques? Does someone want to explain that weird anomaly? Um, I don't think that he's shown up yet. I don't remember. Because I'm not looking at the other two scripts. It's not the two uh, Jacques play. Oh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is quite the oddity. Although the second Jacques doesn't show up until Act 5, so that is helpful to a degree. <laughs> it is a little bit of a challenge to get the timing correct for two singers singing but, uh, when they're doing their lines remotely. But uh, Oh yeah. I believe... Um, Jack did his first or something, and then uh, Amiens uh, went along with his. I'm not sure on that 100%. Um, but. Yeah, it, it, it was actually the reverse. Um, Erie recorded hers first, sent them off to Christopher, uh, see if they were, that would be okay. Um, and then they, they corresponded with one another until they got something that worked. Um, and I think that was actually a, a uh, slightly more uh, it was slightly more involved but also uh, a more productive process than what we did in Romeo and Juliet the sitcom where um, I composed the music first which 
was complex and difficult and it took a whole lot longer than someone just singing a tune to themselves uh, and then having someone else follow along. Master, I can go no further. And we are starting with uh, scene six. Here lie I down and measure out my grave. Oh, Adam. Kind master. Why? How now, Adam? No greater heart in thee? Live a little. Comfort a little. Cheer thyself a little. If this uncouth forest yield anything savage... This is, hearing this is weird for me because I did this scene as well as the, uh, the entrance to Arden. I didn't do the scene in between. When I edited it, I kind of remember it as this scene going straight after, um, you know, Rosalind, Sevier and Touchstone entering the forest of Arden. And it kind of, it, it plays a much... And I'll be with sadder you. after the the kind of the singing find come i will bear thee to some shelter and thou not die for lack of a listening to it straight after rosalind cv and touchstone Surely, also struggle it kind of blurred into their scene a little bit um so yeah interesting for me to hear that in isolation it's <laughs> a proper place and we have scene seven. I can nowhere find him like a man. My lord, he is but even now gone hence. Featuring Seniors Dragon and a number of other actors. <laughs> I love my number of other actors. <laughs> An ensemble. He saves my labor by his own approach. Why, how now, monsieur? What I like is this that your poor friends must so It's interesting to mix the eating in and stuff cuz I haven't had much experience with that before but uh, you haven't had much experience with eating? <laughs> no, with mixing eating in the place. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Good morrow, fool, quoth I. No, I think I might have a little too much experience with eating. No. <laughs> you know what? I, whenever I listen to someone in a radio drama eating, I always just imagine them kind of sat at their microphone with like half a meal, chowing down, eating their lines. That's so fun. Thanks for watching that. <laughs> I know we do have a couple of actors who, when they have uh, eating scenes, they actually do eat something. Um, I don't think all actors do, but... Oh, I would definitely. I feel like I any actors who don't should. Don't guys get on that. I would have me a chicken quesadilla or something. As long as it's kind of making the right sounds for the scene. Like, you don't want to be eating a chicken drumstick when your character's up to soup. But... It's a good point. Unless they're eating chicken drumstick, uh, drumstick soup. Um, if they're doing that, then it's okay. <laughs> I feel like we should write that into a future scene. 
thou shalt have one. Give it, give it a shot, lad. It's actually a good idea. I might try that. Rank in them that I am wise. I must have liberty with all. As large a charter as I still do have to plan out the next play, so hmm, give me ideas here. And they that are most like kind of do uh like bad. But in the style of Gordon Ramsay's so Kitchen Nightmares. Very wisely hit. Wow. Foolishly, although he's smart, not to that would be fun. <laughs> if not, the wise. I mean, I'd listen to it if even by the no one else would. Invest me in my motley. Remember the blankety 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 Porter. Through and through, cleanse the foul body of the infected world. This goes to the witches when they're making their potion shouts. That is inedible. But good, most mischievous foul sin and chiding sin, for thou thyself hast been a libertine, as sensual as the interesting. Anyway, back to this play. The future. What's happening in the scene? Why? Who cries out on the Some slight rustling in the nearby bushes. Doth it not fall as hugely as the sea, till that the weary very means do ebb? What woman in the city do I name when I say the city woman bears the cost of princes on unworthy shoulders? Who can come in and say that I mean her when such a one as she is her neighbor? Or what is he of basis function that says his bravery is not of my cost, thinking that I mean him? Oh, but therein suits his folly to the metal of my speech. It's hard to get startled people to uh, line up correctly to where it sounds natural. If he be free, why then my taxing like a wild goose? Yeah, I wasn't actually sure how that would come off because um, <laughs> in the in the original version, um, Amien isn't there and Senior's Dragon isn't there. Uh, so throwing them in the mix, I, I, I wasn't 100% sure how it would turn out, but I think it turned out all right. So empty? You touched my vein at first. The thorny point of bare distress hath taken from me the show of smooth civility. Yet am I inland bred, and know some nurture. But forbear, I say, he dies that I mean, touches from, any of this. From my point of view, my I think when a character is startled, it's more to do with the way the actor delivers the line. More than your force, move us to gentleness. I almost die for food. But with, let me have it. No, it's difficult to kind of react to something that's not there because obviously all our actors record their lines remotely. It's a, it's a different skill. Yeah, it, it is uh, one of those things that I've never been good at when auditioning for something. Uh, where if, if a character was supposed to be reacting to something, I'm not quite quite so great at it. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Because you tend when you're reacting to something to, to literally react to it um, and, and respond to your opposite actor. But obviously, when you're just recording voice lines, send in. Right. There's no one to react to. True it is that we have seen better days. I guess that does raise the possibility of two actors hashing out a scene on Skype and recording their lines based on that. We have had many actors who've done it before, and I've actually considered doing it for this play, getting a table read together, 
or not or not this play but this show um, be really fun never actually gotten around to it but yeah yeah that's that is the that's the biggest reason i haven't <laughs> scheduling I will not touch a bit. Maybe like a scene. Go find him out. And we will nothing waste. Maybe. Return. I thank you. Or maybe we can just lead cast or something. Thou seest we are not all alone, unhappy. This wide and universal theater presents more woeful pageants. Than maybe we'll do that if we ever adapt Richard the Third. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And that one's been requested a lot. I mean, after after Gordon Ramsay, Macbeth. It's interesting that the all the world's a stage um, speech came from this play. It's pretty great, though. It's, it's a great speech. Then a soldier from one of his least famous plays. <laughs> and bearded like the part, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice in fair round. Christopher also gets really angry during that line. <laughs> it's not what you expect when you hear people say all the world's a stage. But it works because, you know, Jock is just, I don't know. He's an emotional ball of emotions. Yeah. But I think most people really only know the first line of the quote from, like, tea towels and t-shirts. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with um, uh, Wherefore Art Thou Romeo. Yeah. Very similar deal there. Most people don't know the whole speech. To be and not to be. Sans That's another eyes, one, yeah. Sans taste. Sans everything. And uh, that was a little bit of French thrown in. So, scholars, when it comes to this play, are not sure whether Forest of Arden refers to the Ardennes region of France, so the late the second France, or whether it refers to the Arden, uh, Arden Forest, which was near could be a little of both. Yeah, I mean, I go with time to mix. But yeah, yeah, you're right. He did tend to make it to Well, he, he was the original remixer in a lot of ways. Like, the story of Romeo and Juliet existed years before. Um, Julius Caesar had been told countless times in various forms. He just remixed it. <laughs> it's funny because now we are starting to do that to his work. <laughs> Oh, oh how the circle goes. I am the duke that loved your father. The residue of your fortune go to my cave. She just called this podcast the Meta Shakespeare. Support him by the arm. Give me your hand. Come small tidbits of learning that you can then throw out like talking over the water cooler at work. Shakespeare. 
Also good in the table. Make people think we're really, really knowledgeable. As you like it. Act two. We do all the hard work, so you don't have to. <laughs> Russell Gold as Duke Senior. Christopher Gilstrap. Borrowed that from the Stash Alexander as Amin. This this part is where we work out that we got all the actors' names wrong. Alan Wayman as Corin. Edward Herman as Adam. Susan Evan as the First Lady. Natalia Orlovsky as Senior's Dragon. Olivia Steele as Celia. Well, Pete Lutz as Duke Frederick. That's a bad all, folks. <laughs> Justin Fife. How about it? And Jenny. Dino and I didn't hear one second lady. of this thing. Written by William. <laughs> well, we promised it was good. <laughs> yeah. Assistant director. I promise, though, Williams. next commentary I will be listening, so that that'll be helpful. Of Stephen Dash O'Brien. To all you listeners out there. Produced by Pendant Productions. This production. We shall see. 2017. <laughs> or in this case, listen. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com Listen Thanks. and listen well <laughs> Peace Bye Goodbye Alrighty Okay